0: Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. In the last episode I had with Dr. Jonathan A.C. Brown, we discussed his article on yakeeninstitute.org, LGBTQ and Islam revisited the days of the Donald. And in this episode, I actually have Dr. Shadi El Masri, who was co-author of that article and responded to Dr. Jonathan's positions. So alhamdulillah I had the privilege of having Dr. Shadi on to discuss his points and we break that down in this episode. Furthermore, Dr. Shadi provides some tips around ways forward to navigate the socio-political landscape of our time, how we as a Muslim community need to put first things first and set priorities. He also branches off into other beneficial topics such as work ethic, parenting, a simmering book, that discusses the beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and knowing his names and attributes. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes today. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. Links are in the show and descriptions of each episode. You can spare a dollar for your bro Kareem. Come on, help us keep brewing. If you find value in this podcast, please support us today and become a patron. Thanks for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I have Dr. Shadi El masri on the show today. Dr. Shadi, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I had I'd, I'd seen uh, some of your... Um, uh, things about your, your podcast around, even though I haven't gotten around to listening to um, uh, all the episodes, but I, inshallah, we'll, we'll get to that, but uh, thanks for having
0: me on. Thank you, sir. Well, Dr. Shetty, what's interesting is the last episode I, I released, I actually talked to uh, Dr. Jonathan A.C. Brown, also a beloved scholar in our community, and uh, he wrote an article on Yaqeen Institute. We'll have the link of that in the show called uh, LGBTQ and Islam Revisited, where he discusses how to navigate the modern landscape around Muslims and um, the Muslim activism and uh, socio-political activism and the LGBTQ phenomena. And so he offers about four positions there. And uh, and then you um, actually responded to uh, his position. So I wanted to have you on today to first and foremost talk a little bit more about your points and positions and why you felt the way you did. But let me just quickly summarize the uh, points of Dr. Brown. So the four uh, positions he proposed and how to navigate the LGBTQ space was number one, unquestioned embrace. It's number two was rejectionism. Uh, number three was neutralism. And then the fourth one was an acronym he called Raqio, which stands for Rights Affirmation, Common Cause, Islamic Orthodoxy. So uh, those of you who haven't read the article, please check that out. I'm not going to be able to break down every single position thoroughly, but we, we will get a general sense as we discuss Dr. Shetty's responses. So the first one, Dr. Shetty, was the unquestioned embrace. And, you know, you had a very short and clear response to this that not only is this point erroneous, Um, This position is erroneous. It actually puts one outside of Islam. Um, And and you made the argument that based on making what Allah has established as haram into something halal is automatically necessitates a a type of kufr, if not an extremely risky situation. Can you tell us more about unquestioned embrace and why that is a very erroneous position and how it could take you out of Islam?
1: Okay, so uh, to start... A lot of people don't realize uh, that uh, uh, Islam, like everything else, it has its own set of parameters, right? And it's not just subjective that uh, whatever I want it to be. I mean, vegetarianism is not like this, right? You can't say, well, I eat meat, but I'm a vegetarian. Uh, It doesn't work like that, you know? Um, Being a a capitalist or a free market type or a liberal— also, it doesn't work like this. You can't say I'm a liberal, but only whites. You know, I, my club is, it's a liberal club, but for whites only. Because all these terms have meanings, right? Likewise, uh, you know, maybe some people haven't—you have to give American Muslims some a break in a sense because a lot of people have been, uh, you know, are born, brought up in the country and that maybe haven't even been um, to any type of class at all. So Islam is governed by the Qur'an. It's defined by the Qur'an, right? And Muslims are not a, a race or ethnicity. It's a commitment to a set of principles and and, I, and I, uh, ideas and practices. And Allah Ta'ala is the one who said, huwa sammākumul muslimun. He's the one who named you uh, Sammakul muslimin. He's the one who named you the Muslims. So, and sometimes that goes back to Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Some people say that the huwa, he here, uh, he named you the Muslims. goes back to the Prophet uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam. And others say, no, it's Allah. Either way, uh, the name Muslims is not something we gave to ourselves. It's something Allah gave to people who follow his book and follow his prophet. So, any contradiction of any explicit verse in the Qur'an or any hadith that is explicit, okay, that has been defined as sound, right, and mm-hmm. widespread and repeated over and over, okay, like when the Prophet him, he has certain things that he said once or it's transmitted to us from like maybe one Sahabi and other things, the Prophet, peace be upon him, has taught it over and over and over, over 23 years, so we could call that a doctrine, it's something we're obligated to believe in. If we don't believe in them, then we can't call ourselves Muslims, right? So vegetarianism uh, has a couple doctrines, like you can't eat meat. By definition. By definition. Likewise, the Quran, the Muslim does not contradict his prophet. He does not contradict the Quran. So if you didn't know something was in the Quran and you contradicted it, then we say Allah is forgiving. Allah doesn't put people to hell on, on uh, you know, um, Uh, ignorance they puts people he punishes people or he we should say let's just say he takes people to account okay based upon what they know and what they actively reject so if a muslim has grown up let's say in in the society and has not come to realize that the quran itself does give us some parameters on sexuality we'll say okay listen that's okay people make mistakes people don't know everything and in this society uh, you know, it's very f- fathomable that a, a Muslim kid who, who never was uh, given any education on his religion except that he's called a Muslim. Well, to be honest, he might not know that, right? Uh, I'm, I'm being really liberal and, and, and type of uh, sort of generous here about it. So, well, now we're making them aware that in the Qur'an, Allah prohibited, right, to, to act upon pleasure towards the same gender. To have a desire, he, he never prohibited. In fact, we aren't taken to account for desire. You can desire what you want, uh, or not, sorry, not, that's not the right way to say it. People desire what they desire. You're only taken to account if you encourage that desire uh, by acting upon it, all right? You, yeah, like you dwell upon it and you act upon it. So for if it, Now that people know that, now that Muslims know that, and the Prophet has many, many, many hadiths and the entire ummah before, I guess, the last decade or so, all of the scholars until now uh, recognize the meaning of these verses as being a prohibition on acting upon same-sex uh, uh, attraction, okay, and amongst other sexual attractions that we're not allowed to act upon.
0: Right. So if I understood you correctly, I want to summarize each segment you you give here. So you're saying that sometimes, and it's most likely the case, especially in, let's say, Muslim communities in the United States, where we just didn't have the right education. You know, so we didn't have that knowledge and therefore if I was somebody who never graduated beyond, you know, Sunday school Islam Then and I think well everyone around me is telling me, you know This is acceptable and I kind of go along with the with the group that that young teenager or college kid may not necessarily be Oh, this person has now left the fold of Islam because they just didn't know any better They just went along with all these other Muslims who are telling them. Oh, this is this is okay
1: in my experience in the past when I when I started uh, uh, really being getting exposed to people again after having been away for a while and sort of been in a cave in a cocoon uh, I was uh, you know sort of just shocked just shocked by a lot of things that were going on and being said and after having lived now a couple of, you know years with people and interacting with youth um, I didn't say and I don't say any of my beliefs change or that I tolerate anything more but I'm a lot more patient and willing to uh, you know give excuses to people and see that the reality that people are that many people are facing is very different than the reality of the minority of people in the world or in America or in the West that have Allah has blessed them with the ability to be around Muslims from from birth. even I wasn't around practicing Muslims from birth, right? Uh, not even the m- bulk of my childhood wasn't, right? My, in, in my, around the age of 11, m- we learned that some, there's something called obligatory prayer. Before that, we thought it was just a blessing that you did it before an exam or something. So so I'm, I'm a lot more cognizant that people are, are coming from completely different backgrounds and completely different experiences. That doesn't change that I still believe that there are principles that are non-negotiable but, the, but I'm, a, I'm a lot more willing to you know recognize that people have these, uh, these situations. So yeah maybe people you can't assume that everyone knows even the most basic things which which to me I'm thinking about myself I'm thinking about this I'm like, this is insane. you know the world that we are, we're in right now is insane. but once you're in that world, your beliefs don't change, but your re- recognition that people are living such different and such, um, completely different lives that you have to be a little bit more um, uh, you, know, softer spoken in the way that the, you, you transmit this because sometimes they truly are innocent, right? And some of these people out there uh, that, that are prom- promoting some bizarre beliefs, I, w- I would say that, you know, uh, I would give them time of having heard the message, discussed it, understood it, before I really would, you know, get upset and get angry, right? Because that's the point I'm at right now. Because I've seen so much, um, you know, I would I would call it trauma. And I would I would the way that that levels of of sort of being part of a religion and being that ignorant about it, and then being faced with uh, a society that's going the exact opposite way, right? It is traumatic because it's a rupture. Your your religion and your culture should go hand in hand, but that that's not the case. It's going the opposite way, and it's very hard for a twelve year old, thirteen, fifteen, seventeen year old to have to deal with that themselves, right? Which is why I always make myself available to people, you know, as much as I can on social media. I'll answer anyone's message, right? Because I know that they're going through, you know, some some hard times.
0: Okay, but let me ask you this because some people might go, Well, all right, so there's the uh, ignorance clause. You know, we give people the benefit of the doubt, and obviously, if they don't have the right terebiya, upbringing, development of Islamic knowledge, there's going to be just things you can't expect them to fully grasp or understand. Um, but let's say you have, because there are also people that say, No, this isn't a matter of not knowing, I know. But I think the interpretation needs to be rebooted, right? Because there are these there's volumes, you know. I've seen like this very big book, for example, that talks about homosexuality in Islam, and it's like 800 pages, and it's just like trying to totally reinterpret everything.
1: Yeah, I read it, it's full of nonsense. You know? and, it's and all so, nonsense.
0: like, what, what do you say to that? Because, like, I was speaking to Dr. Muhammad Gilan. Um, who also has a podcast, and maybe you're aware of his work. And he was, you know, sharing with me that one of these uh, college discussions he was at, and you know, right at the end, of, you know, they they popped up like, oh, what's the Islamic position on homosexuality? And he was like, man, you know, they brought this up right at the end when you can't really unpack it. So he gave the best answer he could, and then the moderator like took the microphone, and was like, thank you for your answer, and that is more from an orthodox position, but modernist Muslims do find it acceptable. And he was like about to fall out of his chair and it's just like you know how do you how do you deal with stuff like that when people are just saying no i'm using islam too to justify things that were never justified or considered halal before
1: well i mean uh in today's world you have to wonder if facts have any weight anymore right (sighs) (laughs) and in the say and the and the the liberal side of the of the spectrum they go after trump for not respecting any facts. Well, they're the first people not to respect facts, right? I mean, there are fa- it is a fact that marriage used to have a definition that was universal, that involved genders, right? Men and women, that was a fact, okay? For as, for how long has this country been? How, when was the constitution written? How many years has it been? I mean, uh, from then until whatever, whenever Ogberfeld was, that was a fact, right? It was a fact. So facts are things that are no longer really respected. So when you're when you have people growing up in a society where facts are not respected, then I mean Trump came along and he picked his own facts, right? Right. right. So I mean, why should your facts be any better than my facts, right? So um, when you have a world where both both sides of the cultural divide, the liberals and the uh, the, the conservatives, they both have no respect for the fact that crosses the, their whims, right? It's all based on whims. Then you have Muslims growing up in that society. Well, they too as well have learned that logic and facts and evidence and language really, they, they are, weigh nothing against my whims, right? And that's where the Prophet sallallahu gave us a hadith. Uh, you know, Right? And what did the prophet say at the end of the hadith? Right. So, uh, right. So I don't look at it as one mas'ala anymore. Like this is one uh, issue. I actually look at it as an epistemological issue. You know, where are where is, is language appreciated here? Because if it is, then your argument for same sex attract, acting upon same sex, you know, let's say anal sex, let's put it as like Jonathan Brown. He's, he says, let's just talk about one thing. Let's say anal sex, right? Uh, whether for, for male or females, it is not going to, to fly. The, the evidence is all against you. Same sex act, acts are, are not going to fly in the Quran. It's clearly says, right? That, uh, do you desire the, uh, the take your passions towards men, right? With the exception to women. Right? So, um, they really, there's no wiggle room unless you, what they call torturing the text. Okay. So that's what they do. And so my point is, look, it is an epistemological thing. I don't think that you guys care about facts anymore. Right. And language and methodologies. So I don't even know if it's worthy even talking.
0: Well, let's try, let's check out the second position that you um, responded to in that article, LGBTQ and Islam revisited. So the second position was rejectionism, and the way Dr. Brown um, framed it was, you know, that there are there is going to be a group of Muslims that just say, look, this is we don't want to have anything to do with this movement, and um, let's stay away from it. Um, and sometimes that can be done in a peaceful fashion or even a harsh fashion, and uh, you you kind of responded to that. And I'm not giving Dr. Brown all his due. So again, let's let's read the article. Those of those who are listening, but basically you responded by saying that um, when it comes to this position, um, just because we don't accept. Activity that we know as haram according to islam that is not in any way shape or form synonymous with we have to hate them and oppress them or harm them right, but rather we have to um, support um, any cause that is not uh, leading to a Contradiction in our own principles and you gave the example of like, you know, if you knew there was a you know a homosexual starving on the corner of your neighborhood, it would be an obligation for you to feed him. It doesn't matter what his sexuality or religion is. It's about being human. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of clarify for this? How do we know the line between taking care of humans and creation, which is an Islamic obligation? And when we can't go further than that, because as you said, you know, political and religious beliefs are supporting and uh, feeding off of each other. So how can we at once help LGBTQ uh, as a movement, yet still say, as Dr. Brown was arguing, you can do this for political and social benefit, but you have to make it very clear that we morally don't accept this type of activity. How do we even reconcile that?
1: Okay, so there I see two things here. The first thing is most people from my experience talking about the LGBT, they conflate two things. The one is the protection. It's really maybe three things. It, the protection of their you know, sort of right not to be abused, right? Not to be attacked, not to be cursed in the streets or whatever, right? Uh, that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is the sta- any statement on the morality of the thing. And the third of uh, and the third thing being the advocacy of their rights to you know ha- have let's say what they say like a dignity and marriage and social acceptance et cetera et cetera et cetera right so what where we go where we can go is the first the first one in that listing where many people misunderstand this they think oh because you're against what they do. Therefore, you also don't have a problem with them being, you know, abused, killed, uh, you know, attacked, whatever, right? So that's where it's always like shady, it's like it's, uh, confusing for people because we don't stand for that. I mean, I don't stand for the Trinity. How does that mean that? Does that mean that I'm am I'm, I'm out there to, to to attack Catholics? Right. So why should that assumption be made? So that assumption is often made, I get to feel it's made unfairly, right, to, to suppress any discussion, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is uh, the morality issue, which I don't think that me and uh, Brown, uh, uh, Dr. Brown in the paper had any uh, differences on. The third one, the third one being to support their rights. Now, you, in Islam, legality doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether the reference point is Islam. It doesn't matter whether the reference point is the Constitution. It doesn't matter if it's the private sector. If you support something morally, you support it wherever you are. If you don't support it morally, you don't support it wherever you are. So you don't have one morality at work and another morality at home. You might have one outfit at work, right? Like I, you're not going to go to work with a thobe, right? But if you go to uh, Mecca, you might wear a thobe, right? So that's that's fine. You might not talk about what you talk about in your podcast if you were, you know, at Staples making photocopies, but you know you'll talk about it with your friends over coffee. So that stuff is fine. You can wear different hats at different times. and However, there a Muslim does not have two moralities, right? He doesn't have a morality on Capitol Hill and a morality in the masjid. He doesn't have truth and falsehood in uh, the masjid and a different set of truths and falsehoods at work. Okay. So the idea that uh, Allah ta- tells us in all stages, وَتَعَوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى وَلَا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ So come together, unify. And, and what do they say? Um... Stand in solidarity, right? Isn't that their phrase? Stand in solidarity, right? Well, what is, a, that's like ta'awun? I think so, the idea of solidarity is one of the best translations of ta'awun, right? So Allah tells us, ta'wanu al-birr wa taqwa. So stand in solidarity or support or gather, right, for that which is considered by God and his prophet to be good, okay, and considered by the believers to be good and pious okay it's based upon some evidence based upon some piety so uh for that reason right uh we cannot separate our truths and our moralities the moment we do that let me tell you the game is over the moment you do that once you are literally you have gamed over okay because you've set the precedent that this could keep happening over and over and over and i said many times because uh, when a couple incidents happened against um, uh, gays and homosexuals, Muslims were putting up crescent moons with the rainbow flag on them, okay? So I said, all right, then, what happens if there comes a day where an extremist Muslim group, right, c- goes into a Satanist, you know, uh, or whatever they call their places of gathering and shoots them up, right? What happens on the day where the where Satanists become in society totally morally accepted, right? Not morally, even socially acceptable. What happens when it starts to be cool, right? So, and then all of a sudden, uh, some extremist Muslim comes and 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 fires at them and kills them. All right, are you? What are you going to do then? Well, you're setting the precedent now, right? So you would, by your precedent, you'd have a crescent moon with some horns or something, right? So my point is that uh, the Muslim's truth and morality has to be one, even if he's wearing different hats in different places. And sometimes you don't say all the truth. You're not obligated to say all the truth, right, all the time. But you don't contradict your truth. I mean, when I go uh, 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 and I'm an assistant coach in a soccer league and I have friends there that I see every Saturday, I mean, like we don't hang out besides saturday we see each other and we see each other at practice and we hang out right and we chat and we like sort of like each other's company i guess right after a couple of years of being on the same team uh but you you think i'm talking dawa like do you think i'm going in a thobe right and he's like
0: handing out pamphlets every saturday
1: <laughs> you're just being a dad you're being a soccer dad and he's being a soccer dad right and you're being an assistant coach, and that's it. And he's being an assistant coach. So that's it. So the you don't say the all you don't have to say all the truth all the time, right? But I'll never contradict what I would believe in and hold at home or in the masjid. I won't laugh at a joke, right? That I wouldn't laugh at in the masjid or that I wouldn't I true I don't believe in. Okay. And if I did, I would make Toba. I would consider myself that I had done something really bad and I would make toba, right? So uh, so that's the idea. Cognitive dissonance is going to come to the Muslim community if we start talking like this. All right? If we politically support someone or a cause that contradicts our book, right? Cognitive dissonance is a disease that will grow in our minds because we're saying two opposite things in two opposite places. So that's basically, and, and the hadith, the ayah for that is what al taqwa It's absolute. Okay? al-ithmi No matter what happens, do not support something that your God prohibits. I don't care what it is.
0: So, for like the example in the Sierra, where some of the non-Muslims wanted to kind of compromise, like, "Hey, you worship our gods for a year, we'll worship your god, and you know, let's all benefit from you know making some money here at the pilgrimage." That was something that actually happened, and the Prophet ﷺ was not allowed to do that.
1: Yeah, was not allowed to do that. And and by the way, we have to study the bad and the forbidden as much as we study the good and the recommended and, and all those things that w- which we love. Like, we love to be a people of charity. We love to talk about that. That's great. Why is it that we have to study what we cannot stand for? Because you may accidentally, if you don't know the bad, you may accidentally commingle and mix the good and the bad, therefore nullifying your good. Okay, And the Prophet Hodeif uh, Ibn Yaman is the one who said, the Sahabi who said, everyone talks about the good, but I ask about the evil, right? I want to know about what's evil, because that's what I want to avoid, okay? And, you know, the best offense is a good defense, okay? And any time, I mean, you look at the, it's NFL season, right? It's like week three, okay? Look at, look at what they're all saying. If you're sputtering, if your team is not moving, what's the first thing that a coach does? Go back on defense. Start playing defense, right? If you're just not getting wins, you don't know what's going on, right? Go to defense, okay? Uh, Work on the defense. Likewise, when Muslims need to develop and need to kick it into a gear and and things are not, you know, turning out the way we wanted them to turn out, what do we do? We go back to the books of law and the book of doctrine and we get back to basics. And we submit to what Allah has forbidden, right, Uh, 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 and told us to not believe and not to do. Okay. So, I mean, these things are, these things make you, make people think, oh my God, it's just talking about prohibitions and hell. Well, listen, right. It's not something that we're talking about every day, right? It's just that some people in the community have passed on certain barriers and we have to say, Oh, hold up. Don't pass those barriers. Just like the prophet peace be upon him said, they're his uh, likeness of a people. Some people are at the bottom of the boat and some people are at the top of the boat. The people at the bottom of the boat, they said, hey, listen, in order to get water, we have to go upstairs. Well, why don't we not go upstairs, right? Why don't we just get water by uh, putting a hole in the boat and getting the water from there and drinking it from there, okay? So the Prophet him, said, if the people at the top of the boat, don't stop them, the people at the bottom of the boat, from doing that, then they're all going to drown. So uh, it's not like I sit here and I want to talk about what's haram every single day, but being that certain people have watered up, right? We got to say, hold on, this is a limit here, you can't pass by.
0: Right. And sometimes, you know, certainly when there's too much emphasis of a thing, the natural reaction is to slide over to the other side of the spectrum. So if you always grew up hearing haram, haram, you're never allowed to do, to do, you just get tired of it, and you don't want to hear it anymore, right? But at the same time, you're making the point that negation, and we even find this in the Shahada, right? La ilaha illallah. Negation is actually what leads to confirmation. You always have to know the total spectrum. You can't just live with everything that you uh, know you can do or like to do. You also have to know what you shouldn't do and what's harmful, or else you don't have a holistic picture.
1: That's totally true. I mean, you you got to be completely, um, you have to have a holistic picture. And a lot of people, um, let's be honest, they came to America and didn't know much okay about their religion about their dean right and what happened is what they do know is that you can't do certain things right and if you look at if you study a lot and i've been writing a, a book actually which um you know uh, uh it's taken me a while and it's sort of marinating and the book is is called the galaxy of divine love mm. and this book it's basically everything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? That for people to really dive into it and really when you read about the about Allah Ta'ala and His attributes and His names and Himself, you find in it generosity, 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 like twelve attributes of generosity. And then like one attribute of firmness.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and then like 13 different shades of forgiveness. Mm. And then one like sadi'ul hisab, right? Superhuman. Speedy in his judgment. And shadidur iqab, right? And then you keep going different shades of his creation, how he creates, right? And then one thing about how he gives death as well. So the bulk of the attributes that Allah has uh, revealed to us I would say like more than 75%, more of three out of the three out of four. Like more like 89.9%, 92.8% are all on the beautiful side of the spectrum. Yeah. And very few are on the shadid side of things. So if it, the Islam that we pass on to our children and in our communities should likewise reflect that.
0: No. Just like every surah in the Qur'an, except for one, is begins with Bismillah rahman ar-Rahim, even though Allah has many more names than that. He could have chosen to choose different names before every surah, Exactly, right? but he chose ar-Rahman rahim The Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, you know, his name literally means you can't stop praising the man. Subhanallah. And yet, Allah says, Even though he could have been Hudah or Noor or yeah. a bunch of other things, but still, Allah saying, You're the Rahmat to all that exists. And it's beautiful.
1: It, it, it is beautiful. And subhanAllah, the thing is that um, when you look at the Prophet, peace be upon him, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's like uh, um, generosity to his companions, forgiveness, overlooking, just smiles. It's like a list of like 90 uh, incidents that are all generous and kind. And then one incident in which he had to take a stand. Right. And so if, if our Islam doesn't reflect that percentage, then you're going to have people who really can't stand it. And I believe that those types, those realities are the ones in which the Prophet Wasallam said, the deen in, will be to people like holding a hot coal, okay? And, and the reason is, is that you've given no nur, there's no nur, there's no dhikr, there's no sa'adah, there's no happiness. Quran tells us, uh, فَبِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وبرحمته They should be happy, right? And we've inherited a type of religious culture where celebrations are like forbidden, right? It's unbelievable right there's like you don't want to be happy it's like you don't get this like the soft power of this psychology and the prophet said him one time some people were singing and it was like shortly before an ensuing battle with the enemy okay and uh, or they thought that there was a battle going to occur and some people were singing you know some of the the youth were singing some song and some sahabi said stop this we're about to have a battle and the prophet sallallahu said leave them because when the enemy hears this, it strikes their hearts where the swords can't strike, right? In other words, when your enemy sees that you're happy with what you have, right? That's far more powerful than being strong. And how did America uh, uh, spread its wings? Not by, well, yeah, of course by hard power, but also by soft power. Like what is our export? Our export is entertainment and culture, right? And, and when, the, and, and the people, people's impression of Americans, at least let's say in the eighties and nineties was that these were some of the happiest people in the world. Right? Not that they were powerful, not that they were efficient, efficient, like the Germans and the Swiss, nor strong in, 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 whatever, like the Russians. No, their, uh, their attribute that they had was that they were happy. Americans are happy. Right. So So that's, that's, that's something that we need to actually, uh, you know, we need to fix that in our slam and all of the people who are, you know, making such big hypes over such things as the maulid and whatnot, you really God, please, you gotta wake up. You gotta realize the importance of being happy with the prophet and making a connection. And we say, oh, well, why does it have to be that day? Well, okay. Let's think about this now. Let's just think about this with our intellect. They said, "Well, a, a person selected that day. Why does it have to be that day? Let it be another day." All right. Are you going to set a day, right? Because the day you set, it it doesn't really make a difference, right? Because if you're saying, "Well, p- human beings set this time of al Elwa to be happy with the Prophet," well, it doesn't have to be that day. All right. Well, if you set a day, well, it doesn't have to be that day either, right? So, so if you say if you set a day, well, let's let's make uh, 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 the time to remember the prophet to be on September 30th. Well, why does it have to be that day either? So why don't you just, just stick with the day that the whole ummah, you know, has been doing? I mean, that's, a, it's, it gets to be a, a type of polemical issue, the mawlid but the point is there's gotta be a lot of happiness in our religion. And if there's not a lot of happiness and generosity in our religion, then we have not reflected it well, and we should expect therefore rejection
0: subhanallah now i just want to go keep going in this direction but i do want to um, wrap up the uh, the article and then we can maybe get more into the names of at- names and attributes dr Shetty, and how we can revive this very important point you know the color the happiness the zest of our deen that we're not um, we sometimes missing out on, and I and I got a true story about McDonald's that I'll remind me to tell you about. Okay. <laughs> so, so that that so going back to kind of the the position, the article rejectionism. You know, my main takeaway from that is: look, we have to help. We have to fight against human oppression. Period. You know, whether they're Satanists, they're Muslim, they're Christian, they're LGBTQ. That that has that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's the issue is when we. Undermine or water down our principles for some seemingly social political benefit, and the other point that came up from you and I was reading your responses you know, one of the main arguments of LGBTQ is that this is something you're born with and you can't change. But I mean, I studied psychology and on episode 27, I spoke to a clinical psychologist that actually provides therapy for people with same sex attraction. And I read verbatim from the American Psychological Association on the section of sexual orientation. And there is no scientific conclusion or evidence to suggest that sexual orientation is determined by genetics. So if that's the basis of the uh, movement or the argument, and it's not even sa- scientifically um, verified. Then why are we also getting swooped up into all of this for something that isn't actually verified scientifically?
1: Well, the funny thing is that the uh, the latest uh, wave uh, is all about actually the opposite—that everything is a choice, right? Uh, and and it sort of ne- completely negates and goes against the concept of being biologically forced into something. And no action at all, uh, whatsoever is is something that is uh, sort of forced upon a person. I mean, these are acts. We're talking about an action. You're never forced to do an action. You know? So, I mean, the, 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 the logic behind it of, well, it's like being left-handed. Well, but we have evidence about left-handed right? There's evidence for that. And like you said, there's, we, do we even have a, a gene for same set for hetero uh, hom- uh, heterosexuality?
0: Not to my knowledge.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, we don't even have a gene for that. Okay. So uh, if we don't have a gene for that, right, then I, I, I don't understand how we're going to have a gene for anything else. So, uh, you know, I that, that whole, that whole line of thinking, uh, of, of it being biological, I think it's been refuted, right? And it's now just being passed down as a doctrine, right? Just like natural selection is being passed down as a doctrine, and they don't even realize it's in the high churches of these uh, Darwinist theories and these these conferences that they hold. Uh, people on the street, people in the you know regular walks of life, don't recognize that it is completely right, completely. Uh, uh, um, being questioned natural select not by not by intelligent design thinkers
0: no by atheist uh, by sec- a- yeah
1: by yeah. secular by atheists there's books on this like darwin's black box and, and yeah, yeah. There, i mean i mean even one of their phrases now and they, they even came up with one of these phrases like natural selection might cause the may may explain for you the survival of the fittest but not the arrival of the fittest right and that's like one of these seemingly corny phrases, but that's actually put out by them. That's like one of their statements. And one guy collected a hundred, right, a hundred separate academic articles by atheist neo not even neo Darwinists anymore, all unsatisfied with the explanation of natural selection as you know the explanation of things. And for us, you know, natural selection is supposedly, if you think about it it's a non-entity right it's an, it's a complete abstract entity it's not alive but yet it possesses knowledge and it takes action if you think about it but it doesn't possess life i mean i mean which is a complete contradiction and it selects for the survival of the fittest however it also acts upon acts with random mutation right so how is how are those two things themselves need explanation? You know, random mutation on one side, and and yet the driving force is the survival of the fittest. So that's not random. Right? Survival of the fittest survival is not random. That's you've actually put something that's up there. And anyway, that's a whole other subject. But um
0: Yeah, Daniel Hakikachu and I uh talked about that in one of the episodes um all of these uh, holes and uh, it was it's very interesting discussion for those interested
1: Let, we're going to come up on interesting time because natural selection and the lgbtq movement are both going to be shaken up in the next few years the lgbtq movement the lesbian side of it they're really there some of their leaders are really at odds with the transgender leaders there's a civil war going on right And and we're going to be like the person just sitting back and watching because um, there is a war going on. And I was checking up on some of these, you know, more niche uh, um, uh, websites that, you know, people from these spectrums, you know, read. And it's vehement and it's getting nasty between the LGBT and the uh, and the transgender. I mean, the lesbian movement and the transgender movement.
0: Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. So, what's the what's the big beef, basically?
1: Well, the beef is that the lesbians, the basis of the les uh, 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 of the lesbian movement, right, very much like the basis of the feminist movement, is heavily grounded in, in being a woman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, they're taking offense with someone who's actually not a woman and saying he's a woman, right? And then, right, if that person says they're a woman and then but they're straight. They want to box them in as homosexuals. So if you're a guy, like, let's say you're a dude, and then you're saying, well, actually, I'm a, I'm a woman, right? And then, but I'm still straight. So I'm a woman now that's a transgender woman who likes men. Well, they want to say, you're not one of us. Because you didn't go through what we went through as girls, right? You're a guy who's gay, right? Who's dressing like a woman or behaving like a woman or whatever. So, so it's really the LGBT, uh, the lesbian side of things, they are grounded in femininity. That's really the root of it. And for someone to, to then uh, claim otherwise, right, uh, is, I guess, bothering them, right? And it's funny because I have a friend who's a Muslim. He's a convert. And this is actually one of the most hilarious things. I mean, I was laughing when he told me. So uh, he's a convert and he has two aunts. And these two ants are lesbians, okay? And they come over, and uh, <laughs> they're they're old school, so they don't push their lesbianism on him. They're just lesbians in themselves. They don't care that that you know to to, to to bring it up every two seconds. So, but the Republicans, and they can't tolerate any of this new transgender stuff, right? And they were saying, listen. Uh, uh, we can't tolerate this new stuff. We're just old school, right? Right <laughs> Traditional lesbians, right? So here you have now curmudgeonly old women who are lesbians, right? And they're old school and traditional and conservative, right? And to them, this stuff is all a bunch of nonsense, right? So it's just funny to to see like how you know these people who are just destroying all forms of tradition in the past, are now viewing themselves as um, uh, as traditional, right, and old school.
0: Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. So to to kind of wrap up the uh, article, um, you know, I'm going to jump to the section the way forward, where you provide a couple of tips. The first one is respectful disbelief and non-support. And what I took away from that is is that we have to um, respect other people's ways of life. But um, that doesn't uh, necessitate changing our beliefs in order to feel like we fit in. And you use the verse, Quran chapter 6 verse 108, do not curse those they worship besides Allah so that they do not curse Allah out of animosity and with ignorance. And so you said we have here a policy given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, la ikraha of course, and this is what informs our above position of withholding support while neither oppressing nor insulting.
1: Yeah, I would I would um, say that I wouldn't necessarily respect the way people live. I mean, some ways people live, I have no respect for it. I might respect them because I'm re, we're taught to be respectful people. Likewise, when the Quran says don't curse the idols, he's not saying respect the idols.
0: Right, just don't curse them or attack them.
1: For a reason, right? Because it's going to be reciprocal, right? They will then curse your God. Where and your God is true and theirs is false, right? So, uh so I wouldn't, I would, res, I respect the re, the reality and the hafiqah that Allah Taala has given everybody the freedom to choose their deeds, right? To choose their deeds. Whoever wants to believe, believe, right? Right. right? That's on you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. So I respect the people, we respect individuals, I don't necessarily respect all the choices they make, right, because in that is a sort of acceptance, moral acceptance when I say I respect that choice. No, I respect that you all, you have, this, this life is a free world, right, you, you can do what you want, I respect that reality that Allah has given everyone, Right.
0: So basically, the free will principle—that you can worship what you want to worship, I worship what I want to worship—that exactly. doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean they're on the same playing field, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I have my opinions on those, but we are people who live in the same, you know, cul-de-sac, maybe, right, and same uh, world, and we we're not going to be able to actually go on living like this if we're not, uh, you know, hurling curses at one another. And that's what Sudaat of Kafirun is saying. Okay, like uh, you, you worship your, your thing, you do your thing, right, and we'll do our thing. Doesn't mean I approve of your thing.
0: Right, but we approve that everybody has the space to do their thing and Allah will judge. Because th- this is a very important point that you mentioned, is that everything that we understand has to be in context of our origin and our return, and that there will be an, a day of accountability for everything. And this has to influence how we act and think now in the present.
1: Totally totally. We're, we are judged by everything. There is, we're not just judged by, uh, what we think, uh, we're going to be judged by We're going to be judged by our political stances. We're going to be judged by, uh, you know, we're going to be judged by our our, 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 the, what we, the jokes we laugh out at work, right? What we say at work, the contracts we agree to at work, we're going to be judged by everything. So we have to stay consistent. And by the way, this is extremely important for mental health. Like cognitive dissonance is, uh, happens because of this because you have to live two different lives right which i it, it, i'm very sympathetic right to many muslim youth who suffer from this from the other another angle which is not what you're talking about but it's another angle of them actually having same-sex attractions right and 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 we say about that that yeah we say that's it that happens and it's a test they say, well, well, it's a test. Is it a test like men looking at women? No, because a man can get married. So the test of a man having sexual attraction to a woman or a woman to a man is a temporary test because both can get married.
0: Right, but but once you're married, though, Dr. Shady, it's still a test for men and women because you could still desire other women and or other men while you're married. And that would be something you can't engage
1: with. That's totally true. And uh and also, I like to give the example of blindness. It's a permanent test, right? So likewise, a Muslim man or, or a Muslim girl who is tested by same-sex attraction, well, we say to you, look, your test is a very tough test. It is a permanent test, right? It's not something that is going to change. And oftentimes, I don't know if attraction can change. I really don't know if that can change. well, bad, there is but. there is
0: data that yeah suggests it can. It um, can
1: change. It g- good. Okay. Good. But point being is that we do treat it like a test, and we believe that it's a test. And um, back to the political element of things, um, I I want to see uh, as much. You know, Doctor Brown's uh, Jonathan is one of my one of my friends, and anytime he's in Jersey, we hang out. And whenever I'm down in Washington, I try to call him up, and we text on a regular basis. Uh, and he's someone I have uh, a ton of respect for his work on Sahil Bukhari and pretty much all his work, I mean, pretty much all the, the work he's done. And he just actually texted me recently, to uh, really just today, um, I was telling him how gorgeous the autumns in Georgetown are, uh, because I lived there for two springs, uh, falls, two autumns. And he texted me back, he told me he just recently finished his book uh, on slavery, which is really going to be exciting uh, to read. But I, I, I wonder... Uh, what would be his rebuttal to what I had to say, right?
0: Well, why don't we get both of you on and, and get some coffee brewing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll do <laughs> it. I mean, but uh, I'm just curious, like, uh, when he, uh, you know, yeah, saw my rebuttals. And he knew, because by, by the way, the whole thing, that the whole article, was like a discussion we had on a bus.
0: Oh, fascinating. Yeah,
1: me and him were on a bus. The bus got st- stuck. We ended up having like a six-hour trip to, uh, from Istanbul to some other city in Turkey, which I can't remember what it's called. But, uh, anyway, we, we ended up talking and I think this ended up being one of the discussions we had at some point. So then I think he got the idea, you know, let's put it on paper for people to read. So,
0: yeah, it's a really it's a really great article. Again, I advise everyone to check it out. The last two points, Doctor Shetty shares about the way forward is honesty leads to originality, and number three, avoiding tunnel vision. Yeah. And uh, from what I understood, there honesty leads to originality is you said you know one of the highlights was um, the way forward can only be forged by those who are honest about the truth and they stick to what the Quran and Sunnah says and they try to live that and manifest it in their society. Yes, they may be mocked, they may be tossed aside, they may be even persecuted, but if we remain steadfast and resilient, uh, the tawfiq and nasib comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we may even guide people that we never expected looking for the guidance because now there's that nur for them to see and give them that vision that if we put that light out how will they even access that that was point number two and the last point um that if you'd like to comment on was avoiding tunnel vision, which is that we have to remember not to get stuck and welded to some of these, you know, higher, you know, cream brulee discussions of universities or the elite, but we gotta get back down to the ground and do what the prophets always did, which was take care of the needy and the poor and the oppressed and the and the orphans. And this is where, you know, we really walk the talk, so to speak. Any final comments on those two points for way forward?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, we totally, um, uh, with those of us, uh, and, and I spent about 15 years in the university environment, and there was a period of time that I was there where I had fell into that sort of tunnel vision, and you start believing that that environment reflects the world. And it doesn't. It so doesn't. In fact, when you leave that environment, you realize that they're in the minority, Right, they're very influential. Over time, ac- academic idea, uh, uh, the ideas of academics, when they trickle down, they become very influential. However, they are a minority in the world. Okay, and we have to realize that. And sometimes, well, you know, the, the la- large swaths of people can be affected, while these academics still think you're backwards or or what have you. And I tend to always feel that they're they're filled with a lot of Uh, a smart fools and the smart fool is someone who is really good at uh, one thing, not realizing where he is in the bigger picture. Right. And there are, uh, uh, dumb geniuses, which is the type of person who really doesn't have any technical skill of any sort, but can walk into a room and pretty much figure out what's going on in the whole, in the whole, Uh, environment, right? And can manipulate it and can do what he wants in it, right? I think uh, Trump falls into that category, right? I think even Steve Jobs to a degree falls into that category. He had like no, he wasn't technically skilled, right? He wasn't tech, he couldn't do anything technically. He achieved no degrees. He has no demonstration of any technical knowledge at all. And what I really bothers me, and this is not all academics, but it really bothers me the arrogance that comes out of a person because you know of how steep they are and how uh, you know nuanced they are in their field. But I'm thinking to myself, you're clueless about everything else. Uh, point being that that point of that tunnel vision, you, we got to step out of it. And that's why I tend to actually avoid a lot of those environments. Because you could very easily get stuck into, uh, get pulled into that type of tunnel vision. Well, r- remind me, what was the second second, second thing that I said?
0: Honestly, it leads to originality.
1: Yeah, so invention, the mother of all invention is necessity, right? So necessity, if we keep cutting corners, if we keep removing everything that makes us different, we're going to also remove any potential for innovation in the future and when i talk about innovation i mean innovation is not limited to technology right innovation could, could be in, in a social field right it could be in other fields so we as muslims we are really stuck but uh, uh, whether it, whether it's our theology if we believe in god and the prophet and islam and muslims and the quran okay then the conservatives who are dominated by the evangelical churches well they definitely won't accept us right And if we stick to our stance with the LGBT in terms of the morality of the issue and the prohibition of the issue, okay, then mainstream, you know, America or the liberal side of things, mainstream, uh, the private sector is not going to have anything to do with this, let's be honest. But you got to live and you got to survive and you got to thrive too, right? So we have to we have to do it, we have to find some way to do it. Innovation, people who change the world, they don't change the world because they came up with one great idea because they're really smart. Neither Albert Einstein, nor Newton, nor Edison, these are all in the field of technology, right? Nor, uh, let's say in in the social fields, Malcolm X, nor um, uh, Gandhi, nor Mandela, That's in the political field, right? Nor in any field were they just gifted. It wasn't just that. It's it's micro adjustments every day to hone their craft, right? Micro, in the realm of sports, you have Muhammad Ali, you got Tom Brady, you got Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, these greats. Sports you could set aside because there's some uh, athletic ability. It's small adjustments every year coupled with honesty. Okay. And what you end up doing is you climb a hill and then you climb a mountain. And when you climb the mountain, you can now see the other side of the mountain that nobody else can see. And that's what these great leaders in every field, that's what they are. It's small adjustments. And by the way, it's not a goal to be some kind of great historical figure. I'm just saying that what it is, it's not just something that hits you like a lightning bolt. You're not born with it. These are human beings like anyone else. People like to look at the idiosyncrasies of great people, but that's not the right thing to look at. The better thing to look at is their work ethic, right? So we as Muslims, we got to be honest, and but we got to move. We got to take action. And slowly our action will get better. And we're going to reach points where we make big turns. And soon we will have a community, a thing that is uniquely different, right? That has weathered different storms. But if we go the modernist route and every time there's a tension between our religion and the society, we just cut that part off of our religion, we will be like...
0: Body with no limbs. <laughs>
1: a, uh, yeah, you're a body with no limbs. You, are effect, you, are ineff- you will just dissolve into the greater society, okay? You will be Nothing. You will not be anything that anyone ever writes about, okay? You will not be anything that's remembered that's worth remembering. And the caterpillar is an animal that we can ponder. And Allah gives us all these animals just like he gives us uh, lessons in the Quran, he gives us lessons in the universe. So the Quran is the book of his revelation and the, the, the universe is like the book of uh, uh, another book of wisdoms. The caterpillar has to crawl out of a small cocoon very small cocoon. And a a boy one time, I don't know if this is real or this is a parable, probably one of these parables. He cut the cocoon when he saw that the caterpillar was struggling. He cut the cocoon open so that the caterpillar could get out. Well, that caterpillar stayed a caterpillar and died. It never became a butterfly. right? So the wisdom is that the hole is small because in the process of the caterpillar fighting and struggling to get through that very small hole, the nutrients all around the head of the caterpillar, they get pushed back. And those that's those nutrients form the wings. Right? So uh, we are a people, are we stuck? Oh, we're 100% stuck. Are we in a great situation? We're in a 100% garbage situation. It is 100% difficult. Okay? Uh, but by facing that reality that's the first step out of it
0: yeah i mean it's like that by design the tension the struggle is what's going to make us great and refine and you you're right you do see this pattern everywhere in nature right as a lesson or like i love the analogy of blacksmithing you know like the the samurai sword is a gorgeous object, but when you see how what it took to to make that I mean the heat and the pounding and extracting the pure elements from the from the additives and and it's just it took all that energy and then it became this object that can slice through anything
1: i mean it's I mean so, I mean those those swords take such a pounding right that that I mean uh, why should we imagine that in the universe? the human being is no different so if you're out there you're like a 13 year old muslim girl and 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 you're getting all this uh, flack right well that's the pounding that it's going to take and and i teach high schoolers all the time uh, right we got youth groups we got everything around here so i always tell them listen you you guys are adults and you're going to face flack right and you should be honored because the people who face flack today are the people who are going to be great tomorrow.
0: They're going to be the butterflies tomorrow. So They're
1: going to be the butterflies tomorrow. And the opposite is the case, right? If you're handed everything to you today, you will be the losers of tomorrow. You will not be able to keep up with the people who have to ha- have had to fight their whole lives, right? To scrap. I always look at the Jews, right? The The Jews, if you look at the uh, the greats of today – whether it's in business, I, I like graphic design, right? So the top four graphic designers of the past century, there was like a documentary. They're all Jews,
0: right? Social scientists, scientists, finance, حاجة, yeah
1: Yeah, everything. You look at these people. Well, look at how they struggled. I mean, their parents lived in a- a complete misery. They were mocked and bullied in Brooklyn, in uh, wherever they were. They had to change their name. I think Jimmy Kay was like the first uh, Jewish comedian that was like really made it mainstream. He had to change his name. I mean, Calvin Klein is Jewish. Ralph Lauren is Jewish. All these people change their names, right? The designer of I, the IBM logo, the, AT, uh, the NBC, CBS, these F, these like uh, 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 logos that are iconic, and I mean the real iconic, not not today's iconic, which is like 50, 50 shares. It's like iconic, right? Uh, uh, the real iconic images in our society, it's, they're all made by Jews. And if you look at it, these people struggled. They had tough lives. And that's what made them work, right? And today, the Indians getting made fun of every day, right? Or, or being looked at. The Chinese struggling. Well, look at their kids. They're creaming everyone. <laughs> There's not even competition, Right? They are creaming everyone. And and unfortunately the Egyptian go, well, you're Egyptian, right? Look, we, we Egyptians are in in their look oftentimes are close to being white. Okay? They're not white. They might want to think they're white. They're not white. But they try to be white. In every aspect. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe you know, twenty years ago, that your desire to be white may have instilled in you some good work ethics because whites used to work hard, right? But today, if you copy these people, you will have the worst parenting skills. You will have the most coddled kids, the most um, entitled kids, okay? And look at the results. I mean, they're they're not, there's not the, 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 the prettiest results. When you treat kids in this fashion and you coddle them in this fashion, uh, right? uh you know just compare compare that with what the indians and the chinese do with their kids okay and i'm not saying like they're 100% an example but they are in some ways an example right of of, of hard work so you read tiger mom have you have you read this book no sir oh you, you got to read this book and you realize how soft we are yeah she <laughs> took it to an extreme. right she t- she took it to an extreme for sure but if you, if a person thinks about Maybe fifty percent of of what she did, right? It, it, the kids are resilient. Kids know what's good for them. And I had my son; he really didn't like my strict, uh, no nonsense, hard nosed approach to things. Right? He, he, I mean, who likes it? Who who would like to be treated like that? Right? Well, last year in his little in his soccer league, I mean, he was creaming everyone, right? and I'll, and i'll be the first to tell you he it's it's not natural skill it was work it was hard work and 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 it was just pure hard work and he was just just getting on the board and and, and putting balls through the nets uh, like no one else and led the league and i told you look you see now the result and he's like yeah now i see the result right and and i could tell that he he's only like 10 11 years old but i could tell when he's convinced, he understands the link between hard work, sacrifice, grind it out, put your nose down, be honest about your shortcomings, right, and you're going to get results. And when he's when you see results in school, when you see results on the field, uh, you start to believe in the process. And that's what I want for American Muslims. I mean, sure. I, I want we need to be to be honest with the Quran and with the with the whole historical tradition. And let's be honest about something else. Do you have something else? Because I can keep going unless you want to. (laughs)
0: Well, I I did. I did just want to kind of encapsulate one of the messages I got here. Because as also, I'm also a father, and I struggle with this. Is like when to be hard, when to be soft, and you know, I I feel like there's a very, as a very special harmony between this hard work ethic, like you said, you know, being disciplined, being tough on your kids, but you also have to have that compassion and mercy, because if you don't, you know, as a Muslim counselor, I also see where you have parents that all they talk about is you have to succeed. And there's this like cold distance between the parents and the kids. Um, and if it's not accompanied with that rahma, you can actually have other dysfunction as well. They may academically be very strong, but they have intimacy disorders, or they're porn addicts, or they're, you know, um, they don't know how to really love or connect to somebody. They they always feel this inner you know critic voice of inadequacy because they're always trying to live up live up to this very exceptional perfectionist uh, mentality, which could also lead to anxiety and OCD and all kinds of stuff. So where would you say is the sweet spot as a father to love and nourish your child, but also you know put him through the ringer appropriately?
1: It's uh, uh, it's got to be all. Uh, it's got to be all love, and even when you put them through the ringer, you do it uh, with the reward at the end. Like you're, I'm doing this so that you can be rewarded. You're going to be given a short-term reward, and there's going to be a long-term reward. And I come, came up with this philosophy uh, from how Allah treats us and motivates us, right? Allah Taala, when when we are going through hardship, you make du'a, right? And as soon as you make dua, you feel inside yourself a sense of serenity and calm, right? That's the first reward, right? Immediately, Allah rewards you. So Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib said, it will never be that, uh, that you uh, worship Allah with cash and he rewards you with credit, right? Meaning that if Allah is going to, if, if, if you do something now, don't imagine that you're going to get your reward later. You'll get it now. And the now is in the serenity of heart that comes upon a believer uh, when he makes a dua. And we all know this, right? You, you go pray tarawih. You go pray in the masjid. You make a dua. All of a sudden, you feel so great. You give charity.
0: Or just talking to God quietly by yourself in your room and just being sincere with that presence of Allah,
1: right? Yes. And, and, and just, just even it crossing your mind crossing your mind how amazing is this creator and how and and how i should you know seek some for this what i'm doing right just that by itself immediately you're rewarded with serenity so when i uh, I've, I've come and i'm not some kind of parenting expert by the way let me just tell you uh, <laughs> uh and i even tell my kids I'm like i'm actually like uh uh, pretty uh, mean and nasty sometimes but I tell them and I tell them look I just want you to know Allah and his prophet they're not like me they're they're a lot kinder and nicer than me right so don't, so that cuz they see to see me as the sheikh right they they, they, they they see me as a sheikh and that's that's how they know me in you know when I go to the masjid like our dad's the sheikh so that's what I symbolize to them okay uh, so I want to make sure that they don't get the wrong image um, but I came up with this concept that any time I put them through the ringer, I'm gonna they're gonna get rewarded in the present, immediately in the short term, right? And they're gonna be rewarded in the long term, right? And that has really changed everything. That has made them desire to uh, to do the the rigorous activities that I want them to do, whether it's math sheets or hifz of Quran or or training like physical training like running. Uh, they they responded really well to that, right? and and one time, <laughs> my youngest daughter, right, um, she was one time playing on, on on my lap and playing with my beard, and she's looking at some of the other pictures of shiuch that she's seen, and she's comparing the beards, and she turns and she says, uh, "Baba, well, when are you going to be a real sheikh and have a?" Uh, and, then, and, and so they actually know it's amazing because sometimes we have real sheikh come to our massage in a visit. So, um, and it's funny because one one time one of them said, is the guest coming like a real sheikh or like you? <laughs> <laughs> so it was re- really funny to how, how kids bring it out and they know, and we aren't real sheikhs. We're just like filler t- and we're scrappers and strugglers and, and grind- uh, grinders until and if ever you know the real deal comes around and i'm talking about you with knowledge and evidence and and uh, uh and wisdom and 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 everything that um you know is the description of quote unquote real sheikh right so and I, anyway the, what you were saying is that it's got to be in the present and in the future right so that's that's how i think and the love is all the time. Really, it's got to be all the time. And what Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Shaghuri said, that uh, his description was that whenever he got angry with someone, his anger was very short. And that's one thing that, alhamdulillah, my my dad actually used to do this with me, too. He never drags on an issue.
0: No grudges or anything
1: like that? No, nothing like that. You never drag on an issue. And, uh, when people drag on an issue, uh, just turns into, resentment. oh man, it becomes, an it- and here's the other thing too, temperaments, people are created with different temperaments. Like I like, uh, uh, gritty go-getters. I don't like people with, you know, who are really gifted and, and life comes easy to them. It bothers me. I like people who are, who have confidence, who are, who go on the attack, right? It bothers me someone who is soft. However, you may, Allah may give you a child who's soft, right? That his, his, his the idea for him to be aggressive is just repulsive. Doesn't like it, right? Exact opposite. I say to myself, SubhanAllah, this is so you know that your personality is not some absolute truth. It's just your personality. So you have to come to love the, and appreciate the opposite temperaments of people and pull yourself to the middle and pulled them up to the middle. Like the Prophet ﷺ said to Sayyidina no, Omar, he said, yeah, Omar, why do you pray to hajjud uh, uh, out loud? He said, to wake up the uh, the sleeping, to wake up the sleeping and to um, uh, to, to expel shaitan. And then he said, yeah, he said that to Omar. He said, yeah, Abu Bakr, why do you pray to hajjud so quietly? He said, because it's a private munajat between me and Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ then said, Oh, Umar, raise, lower your voice a little bit. And Oh, Abu Bakr, raise, raise your voice a little bit. Meaning that human beings are created with temperaments. And for every human being should gravitate somewhat to the middle, right? So that you can relate what happens if Allah tests you with a child, the exact opposite temperament of you. And many, many parents fall into that, and, and they just have a clash that will never end with their kids. Have you – you're a counselor, and you've seen that, right? And it's just a never-ending clash. And what you realize is deep down, deep, deep down, the parent hates the temperament of his kid.
0: Right. And they struggle to always make them more like them themselves rather than, like you said, both of them adjusting and tuning into the middle.
1: Yes. And I, and I tell them, look, this looks like a sahaba. There, Sayyidina Omar and Sayyidina Abu Bakr were very different. Sayyidina, Umar, Sayyidina Uthman and Sayyidina Ali were completely different, right? Sayyidina Abdurrahman ibn Auf and Sayyidina Abu Dharr al-Ghifari were completely different, right? So, and all those the Prophet loved. And Sayyidina Sulaiman was different from uh, Sayyidina da- Dawood. Sayyidina Dawood was like a, was like Sayyidina Ali. Uh, and Sayyidina Sulaiman was like Sayyidina Uthman. right? So, um, Look at these, and look how they're different. And the parent should come to genuinely love the different attributes. And look at the animals. The animals Allah created. There are predators, and there are prey. The predator is not categorically better than the prey, right? I mean, some predators. The, so, so predators. Uh, you know, they're they're exemplary in some respects, and prey are exemplary in some respect. Like the buck. To me, the buck is, is a noble animal, beautiful animal. He's not some kind of pushover, but he's not a, a herbivore. I mean, he's not a carnivore, right? And the hyena is a ugly, vicious, filthy predator. So there are some predators that are filthy, and there are some uh, some carnivores that are filthy, and some herbivores that are um, exemplary. Everything that I've ever had to do. I've never walked into any space, any whether it's the classroom, the masjid, or uh, the rink, or the field, or like like the sporting uh, wherever uh, where anyone has looked and said, "Well, this is the guy who's going to do it." Right? I've never had that. In fact, it was the opposite. Whenever I, pl- I played hockey, whenever I got onto the walked into the locker room or looked at the the warm ups, right. I would see guys pretty much like maybe have a good six, seven inches on me and a good six, seven inches wide on me too. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world am I even in the same league as these guys? These guys are huge, right? And, you know, hockey's a game of inches, right? And you can get pushed around. And the amazing thing is that I really looked on, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm in the same league. Why am I even going to try And, but when you, when, that's why I always say when the rubber hits the road, everything changes, right? Because when the rubber hits the road, I've never failed in any field that, in every, any endeavor that I went out, went after, right? So in hockey, I actually, I would come, I would come in the middle of the game and I can't believe I'm actually competing with these guys and outdoing them, playing better than them, right? And it's, it's about persistence. It's about smarts. It's about preparing, and it's about uh, not being afraid, right? And, and in that field, you know, uh, it, it, sports is an awesome field because it tests, it gives you a scoreboard. Most of life doesn't give you a scoreboard. So uh, having had that scoreboard to me was, it's a, it's a proof, it's a testimony, never to be intimidated. You know, like when I look at liberals and I look at these political movements, I all I do is think about, you know, I played with I played against guys who were like 6'3. I played against guys who were like 280 pounds. I competed against them. I knocked them on the rear ends because I wanted it more, right? And I get I battled and I took sticks to the throat and hits to the head and to the face, and I had no problem with it. I get back up and I do it again. And when I look at the zeitgeist of the liberals right and it just i'm not intimidated right uh uh, and that's why i think sports is actually a lot of lessons you can learn in sports
0: absolutely absolutely dr Shadi, how are we doing on time (laughs) yeah
1: i'm i'm up to what you're up to so you know i could go on you're gonna have to stop me when it comes to talking you're going to have to stop me. When I was in school, in grade school, all my report cards said needs improvement for excessive talking. (laughs) So it actually became my job. My job is to talk. So, uh, worked out for you. You're going to have to stop me because I can just keep going.
0: Okay. Well, well, I, what I'd love to do is go to our next segment, which is, I want to share with you that McDonald's story, yeah, let's which share I that. told you I'd share. And then, um, that can lead to, maybe I'd love to hear a little bit more about this wonderful book that you're putting together and what are the benefits of living with Allah's names and attributes in our daily lives. And maybe you can give us, uh, two to three tips on how we can really internalize and embody and practice that. Okay. So um, that story about McDonald's, going back to this idea of, you know, no happiness allowed mm-hmm. in uh, in some of our, you know, community settings. Um, I remember a true story. I was about seven years old and I uh, used to go to this halatha with some teachers that were, let's say, you know, no happiness allowed types, right? And uh, one day I came back from a summer in Egypt and I was you know, I had this uh, silver bracelet with my name on it. I don't know if you remember; it's kind of trendy back in the eighties and nineties. Like they, they yeah, etched remember.
1: it in cursive or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had one yeah. of those. I had one of
0: those. Yeah, so so I had one of those, and and the teacher, you know, immediately is just like, "Kadim, what is this?" I said, uh, it's, "Uh, you know." He's like, "Is this jewelry?" And I said, yeah. He said, didn't I tell you jewelry is haram? I said, but it's silver. Boys are out to wear silver. My grandma got it for me for my birthday. And he's like, didn't I tell you birthdays are haram? Oh, my God. <laughs> I said, "I said, but Sheikh, all we did was go to McDonald's and eat chicken nuggets. And he said, didn't I tell you McDonald's is haram? <laughs> so it was like strike, three strikes, man, in less than 10 seconds. But, but uh, you know, that story just kind of reminded me of, you know, earlier we were discussing it's so important to revive the sense of happiness and joy and color in our deen. And in our practice. And certainly, one of the ways to get there is to truly know and be able to properly conceptualize, if you even want to use that word, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, you know, I know that the more I learn about the names and attributes of God and how they manifest, it does give you um, a clearer sense of, of how to construct. The world yep. and if if you know the pinnacle of being a, a believer you know is muhsin excellence right living with this excellence and worshiping God as though you see him even though you don't you know he sees you you know how can we love Allah which is mentioned in the Quran right uh, لله, for example in Surah Al-Baqarah how do we love God if we don't know his names and attributes because mm-hmm. if i told you i'm in love with medium the first thing you're going to say is what do you love about her and i'm going to describe her her attributes mm-hmm. right i'm not going to talk about all the things i don't like i'm going to talk about the things i actually like right yeah. so so one of the keys to loving allah and having that intimate connection with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is we have to know his names and attributes and perhaps this is one of your intentions for this upcoming book that i'd love you to tell us more about
1: well the the galaxy of divine love is exactly what you just said how are we supposed to have any sacrifice make any sacrifice for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we ourselves have no clue of anything about him and yeah okay he's one god well what else so the idea behind this book is to to, to simply collect because how do you know allah from what what allah revealed about himself right that's the only way to know him uh, the intellect can tell us that there's a creator that he that is uh, living, that he is uh, uh, he's he, we know that he's alive by uh, uh, we know that he's will, he's willful by the existence of specification and variation in the creation. We know that he is one because of order in creation. We know that he has knowledge because of complexity in creation. Uh, so there are certain things, and we know that he's alive because nothing that has knowledge and creates can the life is a prerequisite to that. Okay. So, and we know that he is, uh, hearing and seeing and, 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 and can, can communicate because the opposite of that are all main, d- are defects. Right. And we know that, um, we know these basic things. So we need to know more. And by studying the attributes of Allah Ta'ala, you get to look at these, these, this amazing textured, um, Descriptions, like for example, khaliq, al-khaliq al bari al musawur right? These are all names of creation, but they're different. Al-khaliq implies in it that he his creation from nothing. It's the nothingness that's the key, right? al bari is the initiator, uh, is a subtlety in that name that points to the engineering of the creation, Right? So that when 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 people open up the human body, like in medical school, they open up the human body and they look at what's going on here. And the complexity complexity meaning that many things need to come together at one uh, at, at once in certain conditions. Each one of them by themselves, or if you remove one of them, the everything is useless. So, like uh, the eye is like that. The pen, uh, let's like just like a pen to take an example of a pen. You know, the ink by itself is useless. Right? The little plastic tube is useless. The spring that's on the clicking part is useless. The point is useless. The cap is useless. But when you put them all together in the right temperature, at the right time, in the right tension, then it becomes a useful tool. So that's called complexity. So al-barit points to the complexity of the khalq, of the engineering of the creation. Okay? That there is knowledge involved, that there are details involved. And al-musawr points to the beauty, because everything has form and function, right? So it points to the beauty of the mm-hmm. creation. And then you have a name like Al Wajid. Well, what's the difference between Al khaliq and Al Wajid? Al Wajid points to that Allah Ta'ala can create from what you never imagined. Okay? Right? So He can create out of something that you've never imagined. Situations of greatness that come out of misery. And Allah says, like in an animal between where there's blood and there's filth, pure milk comes out, right? Wow. So you, you have uh, amazing, beautiful names, like wow. Al-Alim, Al-Khabir, Al-Hafiyyad, al Shahid, Al-Muhsi. So Al-Alim, the most knowledgeable, is the all-encompassing name for having knowledge. So what's the difference between Al-Khabir? Al-Khabir is more specific, and it has to do with that which is hidden, because al Akbar, Al-Khabar, is that which you didn't see, someone else or saw. didn't know about. Yes, yeah. and someone else saw. It's not knowable to you. So that we, we listen to the news to hear what's not knowable to us. So al-Khabir points to that Allah informs of, of, us of what is not knowable to us, right? Like how we were created or where we're going after death. These things are not knowable to the human being without Allah informing us. And then you have al-Hafidh. Al-Hafidh is that which has to do with uh, that which is uh, minute in its details, okay? minute in his details. So the knowledge of little things like the grains of sand or the ants walking uh, in the earth, things like this that you would never have uh, imagined, Okay, uh, that were knowable, well, to him they're noble. Well, what does that do for us? Well, what it does for you, if Allah is aware of every snowflake that falls on the ground, well, what does it tell you about you yourself who is a superior creature than a snowflake. What does that tell you? If Allah has created every snowflake with its own pattern, well then how special are you, right? As a human being, right? Which is a superior thing than a snowflake. And then you have, you know, the d- d- different names have different shades, okay? So, and and by the way, I want to say something else. We don't know Allah ta'ala just by knowing the names is one thing, right? But meeting awliya is something that is non-existent because the discourse in America, maybe for some whatever reason, it's just not there to say that. But there are in this world salihin, awliya salihin, who if you sit in their presence, you know that this person has embodied the shama'il of the Prophet and you can feel a presence they are those who have excelled in ibadah in dhikrullah they have excelled and because of the dhikr that they've done it has affected them they really it's almost like uh look if you eat certain foods certain scents come out of you right if you put on certain perfumes certain good scents come out of you if you do certain adhkar it's a it's a reality if you do much dhikr certain aura of serenity emits from that person. If though if people have strived 20 and 30 years to embody the life of the Prophet, the akhlaq of the Prophet, you can tell we call these people awliya by and it's a suggestive term meaning al in in our estimation. Now some people say, "Can you say some? Can you say, in my estimation, someone's wali? Of course you can. Why else? How else? Why else would Allah describe the awliya to us in the Quran? Every sifa, every description of a believer, right? And all the descriptions of the saliheen and the awliya, Why have, has Allah given them to us so that we can identify them when we see them in people? Just like Allah has given us the description of the kafirin, fasiqin, munafiqin. There are three different classes of people, right? The kafir is a kafir. He's your enemy in in deen and dunya. The munafiq is someone who is the trickiest person to identify. The fasiq, he's a Muslim like you and a mu'min like you, but he's a bad sinner. Okay? He sins badly. So why has Allah given us these descriptions? So that we can say, you know, in my estimation, the signs of hypocrisy are manifesting right now. Right? And the opposite. That when we see the Salihin and Awliya, we say, Wallahi, the signs of wilayah are on this person. And Allah knows best. So that, to be honest with you, uh, meeting the Awliya, meeting these people, uh, this, this, it's, you can't you can't dismiss it as a source of certainty any man. So Galaxy of Divine Love, that, that book is going to begin with the 99 names. It's going to have in it all of the Hadith Qudsi, it's gonna have all the the stories of Musa speaking to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, and then it's gonna have a section on stories of the Awliya. Beautiful. Because if you, can, if you can't see them, if you can't meet them, then at least read. Read about them. Yeah.
0: yeah. MashaAllah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's so not something inshallah. that's gonna, it's one of those books that I, you know, get to every once in a while and it's, um, it'll be, a, 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 you know, compiled over the years. And it'll come out one day, one of those. Times.
0: But, you know, those are the those sometimes are the best books, just like the best meals. Like you said, it's simmering and cooking Exactly.
1: Slowly. It's got to simmer. It's got to cook slowly. And, um, you know, that's, that's the idea because we have something to offer. We're not just critics of the liberals. Um, I mean, the liberals, it's really just a waste of time. We have something to offer. We have a lot to offer. We have, our ulama have shown us that there's something called wilayat. To be a wali of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, right? And we have something to offer the society. We have the the power, the ability, the wealth, the motivation to be the most giving, generous group of people in America. And it's not that we are we should consider ourselves that we are, you know, uh, uh, we should be embarrassed until the day that there are more Muslim owned. Food pantries, right in the cities. Then there are Catholic food pantries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Really, we should we should really just uh, think about this. Uh, we should be the most generous people. Instead, what are we doing? We're trying to be accepted. We're trying to be, you know, have more politicians, right? I mean, you want Muslim politicians? Go to Cairo. They're almost in there.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting point because because I know some brothers who have done. You know, work in remote places like in Africa, for example, and this, you know, they go and visit and they tell they tell me, you know, like the Catholics were have been here for 20 years. Yeah. Right. And and they are the ones feeding them and and giving them toys. and, And this is why they're influenced. Right. It's like and the Muslims are one border over. And they're not here. No, uh, no. You know, know, the other thing I heard you say is, you know, the awliya is a real thing. And it's a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I've met converts, for example, and, and other people that, you know, when I ask sometimes, you're like, oh, what's your conversion story? It's like, you know, I met this individual, this sheikh or this imam. And for the first time in my life. I recognized what a human being was supposed to be. Just like that. No nothing was said even that, wow. you know, it's just the nude of the person, the presence, it just you know, other times you meet someone and you just you feel that tra- tranquility and sakina. and they don't have to say anything. It's that energy coming from the heart, yeah. right? If you want to call it that. And so there is a reality to this and that's one of the ways that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala manifests his beauty and his greatness when we embody the hidayah of the Prophet Muhammad or any of all of the prophets. The last point I took away from, from your sharing is another powerful mechanism of being awed by the beauty of Allah is studying creation itself. Because I know when I watch these like documentaries, Dr. Shadi, on like how the galaxy works or you know, planet Earth and these types of things, you just sit back and you're like, SubhanAllah, mm-hmm. like look at how, what Allah has done and how He has set. All of this creation in this order, and if you spend all your life looking at Facebook and that's all you know, how are you going to tap into that greater majesty and beauty that's swimming that you're
1: swimming in all around Sibari. you? You're
0: just not you're just not seeing it,
1: you know. And 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 it also gives you that the Muslims we're not in the minority; we're actually in the majority because creation is is on the fitra, right? Creation has been as it has for forever. In the sense, the sun's been the sun, the moon has been the moon, right? And um, uh, that... The trees, the, the, the animals. Yeah, the trees. Right. And, we're, we're, we are not outnumbered. The the khalq the, uh, outside there is on the same path. They are in obedience to Allah Ta'ala. It's, uh, it's the disorder is in the realm of the creature that has will. The creature, you know, the human being is where disorder is at. Everything else is in order. So right so even it's
0: when we choose to, rege- to reject being in harmony with
1: it yeah and it's like uh uh everything about the universe is in pure, perfect harmony if they say well what about mm, volcanoes and earthquakes and storms seems very disruptive it's not disruptive at all right i mean if you're if you're a little piece of lice and a human in in the hair of a, of a child And then the dad says, Hey son, let's get a crew cut. And then you go and shave off all the hair and you're that piece of lice that gets caught between the razors, right? Of that, um, of the razor, right? That gave that kid a crew cut in the little universe of that piece of lice. That was judgment day. That was the apocalypse. Okay. So, we humans, when we look out, and some atheists say, Well, if God is, if this world is so, you claim that it's all order, then why are there earthquakes? We say to you, In your view, because you're such a small creature, you think this earthquake is bad, right? This earthquake may be great for the earth. Oh, okay. And then they say, Well, why did all these people die? Well, because you built your city on it. No one told you to build your city there, right? So, whenever we view nature as being bad, as being disorder, orderly, as being chaotic, as being violent, it's all in respect of, to the perspective of the human being, right? In itself, that earthquake may be perfect for the, for the earth. The volcano is no different really than you spitting up, uh, you know, having an acid reflux, right? you, you It's the earth like having an acid reflux. It's good for it, right? So, uh, the point of, I'm saying is that uh, everything in nature is orderly. Even if we think it's not orderly, well, it's 100% orderly. And anyth- anything negative is from our perspective, right? Which, in our perspective is uh, really, I mean, what gives it any more worth uh, than anything else? So that's only in our perspective. So, so being out in nature, to me, is so important for us to American Muslims because the fitrah the fitrah is something that could be twisted and it could be corrupted, right? And there are ideas out there that are corrupting our fitra. The internet is the biggest corrupter of the fitrah, right? I mean, you brought up the subject of pornography addiction. I mean, this thing is so so uh, prevalent in the world today uh, that honestly, if you wherever you travel, the internet is there, right? And the, the world today is so connected that I actually believe my philosophy is that the only real, the, the, the idea of disconnecting, all you have to do is take your, you don't have to go anywhere. Just take your computer, right, and, you know, put it somewhere else for the day and your cell phone and live offline for the day. You'll feel really disconnected and it'll be a purifying, uh, you know, habit to do, to get offline, to be disconnected for a couple days, a week. As a habit.
0: Karamakumallah, Dr. Shetty. I don't want to eat all the uh, honey out of the jar today because I want to have you back on again soon. Thank you so much for your time today and your valuable feedback. And may Allah bless you and your family and uh, give you taufik and your new book. And inshallah, we'll we'll have you on again soon to uh, discuss some more topics. Oh,
1: well, thank you, and um, it was great to be on. And I know that you know sometimes uh, I take the liberty. In these uh, sort of relaxed, uh, you know, podcast episodes, to go from subject to subject to subject. and um, uh, you know, I think that uh, you know, hopefully, that wasn't a problem.
0: I'm, no, I'm sure. I'm sure everyone will will enjoy it.
1: Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It was great. It was great talking to you. And inshallah, good luck with the podcast. Thank you, sir. And inshallah, we'll come on another time.